Hello, I'm Alan Kohler, Editor-in-Chief of Eureka Report, finance presenter on ABC News and a columnist for The New Daily. And I'm James Thompson, Chanticleer columnist at the Australian Financial Review. And we are The, the Money, Money Cafe. Cafe. James, I got a... a um, out of office from you on my in the email this week. So thanks for coming in on your, on oh, your uh, week off. Or not at it all. Two weeks. It's two weeks off, and it's a uh, nice chance to get out of the house for the morning and escape the kids for. Oh, uh, so you've got no idea night. what's going on. So oh no on. no no not at all not at all. And before we get into it, Alan, I've got to present you with this twenty dollar note. Oh. Which I've been hanging on to for yeah, our yeah. bet. That's right. We haven't seen each other. No, since we the haven't election. seen each other in person for one reason or another. So there you go. There you go. Twenty dollars. This is the bet for those <laughs> who uh, weren't uh, listening at the time. This is the bet that I bet that Monique Ryan would win the seat of Q. I'm from Josh Frydenberg, and yeah, you're right. Here we are in um, in Kuyong, and here we are in Kuyong. Your, with, uh, our local member is Dr. Monique Ryan. Yeah, who. Um, we find I've uh, I've subsequently had lunch with Josh, right? And uh, he's uh, he's all right. Okay. <laughs> I mean, he's oh, I think he's grieving a little bit. You know, I'll as bet, you'd, bet, yeah. you'd expect. Yeah. He had a busy job before, and now suddenly he's staring at the walls of an empty office. Yeah, yeah. But uh, no, he's trying to find things to do. I read somewhere. I didn't ask him about this. I read somewhere that he's he was interested in becoming CEO of the AFL. Yes, uh, I read that too. I'm not sure how likely that is, but. Perhaps no. you can use that 20 to take him to Macca's or something next time. Yeah, that's right. I think that would be entirely appropriate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh... You put it in an envelope somewhere and put it away. Now, sorry, I've interrupted our flow. We've got very important topics to discuss well, So today. this week, of course, interest rates week, uh, rates went up half a percent. Uh, on Tuesday, do we think that um, it'll be another half percent next month? Oh, it, it, it has that feeling about it. I mean, they're, they're in full inflation fighting mode. Um, but G's rates are going up quickly, aren't they? There's a sense that my sense is that they're front loading this. They're, they're trying to go up hard and fast. Does, and, and the question I have is when do they pause and take stock? Um, they're not getting any sense, though, from the data that there's a great slowdown in spending or that their work is having much impact at the moment. And so that would be worrying them, I would imagine. And that, so, so, yeah, I reckon 50 basis points remains on the table in August. Well, I reckon they're uh, – I think it's crazy. I think they're going up way too fast. I think the, the fact that they've changed, um, you know, done, done this U-turn from yeah, saying yeah. – uh, no change till 2024 to suddenly putting them up fast in 2022 yes um, is itself uh, dampening of the economy I mean it, it, leaving aside the interest rates yeah. what you know the actual increase in interest rates just simply the change in tone yes. from the Reserve Bank is is a big downer itself but are they seeing that like what 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 do you what what signs are you saying? Seeing that the economy economy has been dampened, well, like confidence is down. Yeah, okay. The yeah, market's down. down. House prices are coming down, but so they should. That's good. Like the retail sales are still very strong. Employment's still pretty strong. I know that's a yeah, lagging. So look, indicator. you're right. I mean, okay. So we're not. But the data is so lagged. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, it's all old data. Yeah. Um, this is just a feeling I have. I yes. Mean, yeah. And maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, look, the one strong thing which I've been uh, – I'm recording a thing for the ABC News on Sunday about is the, the labour market's unbelievably strong. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the, the job vacancy data that came out the other day was uh, incredible. As it's, um, 
you know, that what was I'm just trying to remember was 480,000 job vacancies and 540,000 unemployed people. Yes. So there are nine vacancies for every 10 unemployed people. Yeah. We've never yeah. seen anything like that. I mean, I did a, I actually, it took me hours, but I did a graph. I, I, I pulled together the job vacancy data and the unemployed people data back to 1972. Right. Wow. And um, uh, the, the normal, you know, right through for decades, the normal number of vacancies per unemployed person was sort of um, uh, one or two. Yeah. One or two per 10 unemployed. Right, That's, okay. It was, it's yeah. 10 or 20%, yeah. you know, basically it fluctuates. Yeah. And then it's gone zoom yeah. now up yeah. to 87%. So uh, it's incredible. So this is going mean, to – and this is the thing that the RBA and the Fed as well are pushing against, you know. How, how big a crack do they want to put in employment? I know, but the thing is that the um, – the uh, the job vacancies data and the strength of the employment uh, of the labour market is due to lack of immigration, largely. It's also yeah. true that people are changing jobs more often, but yeah. the immigration obviously is not going to be I- affected at all by interest rates. No, no. so that's a separate uh, that's a separate thing, you know. And also the supply chain problems, the increase in the oil price. Yeah. So uh, all of the things the RBA is worried about are not due to specifically to low interest rates. I mean, there is a bit of an increase in demand, we've seen, obviously, yeah. coming out of the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but um, anyway. I mean, it's a, you, I know you said this on the news last night, that the US is in recession, but the, the, the problems there are very similar. I mean, yes, the, the, the economy is in recession, but you sort of look away from that technical definition of two quarters of uh, negative growth and parts of the US look like they're booming. I was reading a story yesterday about Las Vegas. And Las Vegas has boomed back back so far above pre-pandemic levels, they're now talking about the fact there needs to be a slowdown because hotel rooms are booked out. You know, there's not enough workers to fill all the places. Yeah. Um, prices have shot through the roof. The flights are, you know, at 110% or whatever capacity they can get in there. So, so it doesn't look d- like... Does it, is the definition of recession wrong? Well, it's certainly not stagflation, is it? No. There's no stag going on. No, there's not a lot of stag at the moment. That's true. That's true. So, I mean, yeah. everyone's been talking about stagflation, but actually, so far, yeah, I haven't seen it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I just, uh, everyone's uh, – my sense is everyone's groping at the minute in the dark, trying to figure out sort of what comes next. Like, what's the Goldilocks settings here? And it's, yeah, well, that's it's right. so we hard know. to find, aren't they? Well, We're going right, to get it wrong one way or the other. Yeah, because, uh, you know, we, we've never had debt this high. Yep. Never had or this rates this low. Or rates this low. Never had, so this is entirely unprecedented. You know? Yeah, yeah. And then you overlay that with things like we've never had a population ageing so quickly. We've never had as little oil, you know, in, in reserve as we've had now. We've never had climate change as bad as this. So there's all these things. Thing. It's a fascinating time. It's a great story, but um, it's it's a bit scary. Like we're going to policymakers are going to get this wrong one way or the other. They're either going to tighten too. Well, much. If they get it right, it'll be by accident. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> that's right. And we we probably won't know if they get it right because, as you say, the data lags so much. Yeah, that's right. We're just having to feel our way, and I I agree with you. The question is, are they going too hard now, and and subsequently they'll. they'll 
you know, make a mistake or do they go hard and then pause and then have a bit of feeling time yeah. and get it right? Well, one of the graphs I had on the news last night showed the forward curve for yeah. ca- RBA cash rate, which the market has going up to 3.5% uh, in the middle of next year, uh, but then coming down. Yes. So yeah. the market is now predicting cuts in, ca- in the cash rate yeah. next year. So is the bond market. The, the three-year bond rate I had on the news last night also is coming down now, yep. Yep. which is a predictor of th- uh, effectively a predictor of interest rates three years' time. So the, the bond market is predicting a downturn and lower, lower interest rates, hmm. um, and so is the futures market. Yeah. Um, and, you know... Although it doesn't point to how deep that downturn is, does it? It, mo- it might be that the... It's just enough of a pullback in the in the economy that the RBA goes, okay, yep, yep, we've seen enough here. We've seen the data that we need to see. Um, or is it quite a dramatic slowdown and the RBA goes, oh, gosh, we've got this wrong. Let's start cutting as quickly as we raised. I don't know. I don't I know. Have no idea. Nobody <laughs> It'll knows. It'll be fascinating to watch. Um, so uh, what about super returns? There've been some, there's been some data on what's going on with super returns. Yeah, well, we've seen Australian Super this week had uh, their returns out and they had a negative 2.7% return in their balanced fund. And I know we've got a question later from a, a, someone who's over 65, a single over 65 woman who's saying, you know, it's quite distressing to see that uh, you, you log on to your super fund returns and see that negative number. But I think that sort of ignores what we've had in the last few years, um, which is very, very strong returns, double-digit returns over the last few years. Uh, and you do have to see this as a long-term asset. Yes, it's, it, it, it's the closer you get to retirement, the more painful these gyrations are. But if you're going to be upset about 2.7%, you've got to be euphoric about the 10%. Uh, double-digit returns that you had in the last few years. I mean, yeah, that's right. th- th- this is th- th- we've had such a good run on, on super. Um, you know, if you'd said in March 2020 when Melbourne and most of the world was locked down that you'd end up with double-digit returns coming out of both 2020 and 2021 and a, and a small dip in, in the 2022 financial year, you probably would have taken that. So... I think you do have to zoom in. Yeah, that's right. And somebody who's uh, over 65 and approaching retirement probably ought to be in something very conservative. Yeah. uh, You know, in a conservative option or something. It's a bit like house house prices, isn't it? I mean, everyone's talking about house prices coming down in Melbourne and Sydney, which is obviously the case. Yeah. Sydney house prices are down 4% from the peak, but they were up 40% in two years. And and, and every article was about... I wish these house prices had come down. I know. You know? <laughs> That's right. No, we don't wish super fund returns come down, do we? No. The, no. the interesting thing is the unlisted assets. So, so Australian super's got, you know, about half its portfolio, roughly. I'm using rough numbers here in unlisted assets. So that's infrastructure, uh, private equity, venture capital, um, things that you can't buy and sell on a on a stock exchange or yeah, a financial I, market. I, I was very amused when they came. They said, oh, look, you know, we're seeing some declines in our share share." market portfolios and our property portfolios, but our unlisted assets are holding up. Yes. Well, of course they are, because they don't value them. They only value them once every quarter or that, once every year. That's right. The, the and ca- they value themselves. Yes, sometimes, sometimes. I guess the caveat there, though, is real things uh, that can't be impacted by inflation, so like a road or a, or, or a, um, 
yeah. you know, a bridge or whatever it is. Th- th- those those sort of assets should go well. So there are puts and takes with these unlisted assets, though. It will be interesting to see private equity and venture capital particularly do really well in low interest rate environments, and that's quickly disappearing. So it'd be interesting to see how those two sectors So listen, go. James, you've... Apparently, you've got your finger on the pulse on holidays. What's going on with that company earnings? Do you think? Well, we, well, at the moment, not enough. So, company earnings uh, forecasts for 2023 um, in Australia and the US have been flat or up. So, despite all the bad news in the world, people are still expecting companies to either make the same amount of money or make a little bit more. So, that's going to change because we're seeing the economy slow. We're seeing commodity prices come down, and the question is. Does the um, downgrade of company earnings forecast hit shares again? And so we're about to go into the US company earnings season. Yep. And usually these things, they have a quarterly, it's crazy, they have a quarter, every three months they put earnings out. And so they end up <clears throat> so short term. But the next few weeks, as we see company earnings come out in the US, it's going to be fascinating to watch. Are companies going to start saying, yeah, the market's wrong? The next year is going to be bad. And so we, oh, investors need to watch that really closely. I, I can't see how that won't happen. Yeah, I can't see how it won't happen. It's the magnitude, I mean, the, And the decline, there was some stuff I've been reading shows that the decline in share prices so far that we've seen, particularly in the US, has been all about valuations yeah, as a result totally. of interest rates going up. Yeah. As you say, earnings have held up, so the, the, the share market's come down 20%. That's been a 20% decline in valuation. Yeah. Next, next leg of it is actual earnings coming down. Yes. And, and company profit margins have never, ever, ever, in the history of financial markets, they've never been this good. And so the, it makes sense that they're going to come down. The question is how far and what happens. Yeah. Um, uh, the only other thing I wanted to mention was Bitcoin under 20,000 again. I mean, yeah. it's, it's it, look, it's, it's, a, it's a flim-flam kind of market and just speculative, but I guess it's an indicator of uh, speculation coming out of... Yep. Uh, speculation kind of uh, in deflating. Do you think it's an indicator of something bigger than that? Like, uh, are the losses that people might have, and we're seeing some of these crypto exchanges and crypto lenders fall over, is there sort of contagion that's going to hit the rest of the market? Look, I think a couple of things. Firstly, the market is still fairly small. Yeah. Uh, there's not that many people investing that much money. And secondly, we don't know how much of it's borrowed. Hmm. I mean, uh, uh, probably a fair bit of it is, but... You know, I I, th- I doubt that it's going to be a, a systemic f- problem. Yeah. No, uh, neither do I. And I don't. I actually don't think Bitcoin's going to fall that much further. To be honest, it's certainly not going to go to zero. No, I don't think it's going to zero, but I, it could fall a fair bit further. <laughs> I don't know. I've got no idea. I, I've always really struggled with, to say why is it at twenty thousand or sixty thousand. Like, oh yeah, me uh, too. I, I mean, just, I don't know. Uh, I don't in, get that. In two thousand eleven, or no. 2010, it went from um, uh, it went from 0.3 of a cent to three dollars. Yeah, hundredfold. Yeah, right. Um, so that was the first bubble. Yes, yes, up to three bucks. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you'd love some three dollar Bitcoin right now. Yeah, that's right. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I've got no idea. I, I, I always. You'd be the same, you know. You, you get these emails in your inbox. And do you want to talk to this crypto expert? And you do think, sort of, it must be. It, it's it's a hard area to be an expert in because it's just so new. Like it, it's um, where the your expertise goes back sort of five years or three years. It's it's 
just difficult, I reckon. It's a, it's a slightly narrow expertise. It is. Yeah. Let's face yeah, it. That's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Let's get. Let's do some questions, eh? Yeah. Great. Uh, David's the first one. Uh, <clears throat> my daughter is keen to start investing in the share market, and I've encouraged her to look at broad-based ASX-listed ETFs, something like a beta shares product that typically cover the top 50 or the top 200 ASX companies. She has a long-term time frame, but is concerned about finding genuine ETF management companies as she is rightly wary of online scammers. Can you recommend other ETF providers she should consider? Uh, well... Uh, David, uh, the best thing I reckon you should do is go onto the ASX website and they've got a list of what they call exchange-traded products, ETPs. So if you Google ASX ETPs or exchange-traded products, you'll find a list of ETFs uh, and they've got the provider on that list and you'll find that there's providers, there's BetaShares, as you mentioned, there's also VanEck, there's Vanguard, there's iShares, um, and the thing to do, I, I, I mean, I think I think it's fair to say, I don't know what James thinks, but I think it's fair to say that they're all pretty solid, you know. Yeah. Not, uh, yeah. None of them are going to go broke. No, and, and, and the ASX has done some of the work for you there and, and they've looked at the credentials of those firms. I, I guess what I would say is just look at what's inside the ETF. Exactly. The, um, That's you, right. You need to know, you know, if, if you're buying into a – if you're getting a bit more – Exotic, and you go into a clean energy ETF. You want to know exactly what's in there. Make sure you're comfortable with. Yeah, what but, it and, holds. The, and these the list on the ASX website has links, so you can link yep. to the web, the thing. And the each uh, website of the ETF tells you the companies that they invest in. Yes, yes. Uh, you know the top, like the top ten or whatever. Yeah. Um, so you can you can look at those things. I mean, and I think James is absolutely right. You got to look at what what are they actually investing in. I mean, obviously, if you stick to top 50 or top 200, you know what you're getting, which yep. is you're getting uh, banks, <laughs> banks <Minus. and> mining <laughs> companies, yeah. basically. Yeah. Um, anyway. Uh, Shannon asks, last week you talked briefly about Westpac's floating rate hybrid offer. Can you explain a bit more about what a bank hybrids are and how they work? You can do that. <laughs> well, a, a bank hybrid is a, it's a debt instrument with a twist, I guess. Uh, so it, it pays you a fixed or floating interest rate over a period. But the twist is that if the something goes horribly wrong, the hybrid can convert to shares and you take the losses and the, so, and the bank doesn't take the losses. So you just need to be aware that there is an extra bit of risk attached to this. It's not like a fixed interest product. There is the extra risk that if something was to go pear-shaped at the bank, uh, your, your hybrid can convert to shares and you absorb a loss. Yeah. And uh, often they, they convert to shares anyway. Yes. Uh, after a period of time, whether it's three or five years. So you get, you get a floating or fixed interest rate for a period of time, and then at the end of that time, uh, it converts to shares at the bank's option. Um, yes. So you end up with shares, or you, you, know, you get to redeem them. Yep, yep. Um, this is if things don't go wrong. So, um, yeah. So they're, they're called a hybrid because they're a mix of debt and equity. Um, yeah. A hybrid yeah. between the two. Yeah. Uh, Lockie says, I use Stake as my trading platform. They recently established a feature called Stock Lending for US Equities. This is very interesting. This is very interesting, isn't it? Um, (laughs) Would love to know your thoughts on the risks the lender, e.g. myself, would face in this situation. Stake automatically turned the feature on and there doesn't appear to be many risks, but it looks too good to be true. Uh, Well, uh, what do you reckon? Well, I'm fascinated by this. So, So Stock Lending is when you lend your stock... To short sellers, basically. Yeah. So, 
and Lockie's right. I mean, there's no real risk per se, except for the fact that you're lending the stock to people who are betting against you, which is sort of an interesting idea. Yeah, well, super funds do it all the time. Yeah, super funds do do it. Um, and and uh, the, the, their their thinking is, that firstly, they make a return. They, it improves their return. They yep. get uh, they get paid kind of uh, interest in inverted quotes for the loan mm-hmm. of their stock. Uh, and they're also betting that most short sellers lose. Yes. Yeah, and that's it's a true. good way of putting it. But yeah. I mean, uh, just because someone's borrowing your shares to short sell them doesn't mean that they're going to go down. Yes. Because very often the short sellers get caught and the thing goes up and they, they have to cover themselves and they lose money and it's terrible. But um, yeah, but you're right though. What their, their intention is to sell them <laughs> yeah. so that the, stop, the price goes down. Yeah. So th- there's, a, there's a sort of philosophical thing you need to get your head around there. Um, and, and I'm not sure, but, but often what happens when you lend your stock is that you lose control of the voting right attached to them. Yeah. Um, so you do need to be, if you want to participate, and I'm, I'm not sure of the technicalities here, I'm not sure if you even can from Australia have a vote in a US uh, company's well, you know, if you've got, meeting. Ten, got 10 shares in Microsoft, it really <laughs> you're not going to swing it. That's true. <laughs> but um, it's just one little thing to think about. You, you know, you, you you can lose control of that ability to vote the shares. So, yeah. But but otherwise, I'm, I'm fascinated that they'd, A, that they'd turn it on, yeah. and B, that they'd turn it on automatically for everyone. I know. That is really interesting. It is. So, yeah. Uh, we might follow that one up, Lockie. <laughs> Uh, Matt asks, as an aspirational 20-something, my ambition is to work my way into the corporate suite of finance, roles like CEO, CFO, CIO. doesn't seem to be a set pathway, or, and several related degrees stand out. Good on Matt, by the way, for... Shooting high. For shooting high. Good Absolutely. on him. Um, standouts seem to be commerce, finance, and different branches of business degrees. Do you have any insight into what courses generate the best outcomes? Having wasted my first few post-school years on a sports science degree, urgh, I'm beginning to... I'm, I'm being particular to not make the same mistake. That was Matt's, urgh, not mine. Thanks for your time. Um, uh, the answer, Matt, is uh, I think MBA. Yeah? Just got to do an MBA. Okay. Um, uh, it's expensive. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, and but, but if, if, you're really, if you're really ambitious, you really want to get on, and you, um, yeah, you might need to do a, uh, you might need to do a finance degree first, mm. some sort of commerce degree. Uh, but if, you know, I, I, I don't know what you think. Yeah, I, I would have said a commerce degree, and I think an MBA, most CEOs you see have some sort of, MBA or MBA-like training down the track. But, yeah, I, I'm not sure it's something there's a, a degree that makes CEOs or CFOs over one that doesn't. It's more the industry that you get into and the, it's a lot about people management and uh, personal skills, I, I reckon. Yeah, my son-in-law did an, d- decided he wanted to switch careers like Matt, uh, like, uh, Matt and... Um uh, did an MBA. Yeah. Um, Got a lot I, out of it. I think his parents paid for it. Anyway, it was it was expensive. Yeah. I uh, went to Melbourne Business School. Yep. Um, and he's fine. It's, it's worked. I mean, the thing about an MBA is that it does a couple of things. Firstly, three things I'd say. Firstly, it really sharpens you. Like it, it's hard, and yeah. you and you yep. and you really learn stuff that you need to know. Yes. Secondly, uh, you, you meet people in the course who have a fantastic network mm. 
Yeah, um, and thirdly, it's on your CV. And it's a fantastic thing to have on your CV. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when you're applying for jobs. Yeah. Because it shows people who are looking to hire you that you're serious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the one thing I'd say to Matt, though, is there's a lot more CEOs that I speak to, and you'd be the same, there's a lot more... There's a lot more diversity in the backgrounds these days, like people coming from all yes. sorts of angles, um, through HR, through even sometimes through media and investor relations. So uh, there are different pathways to that yeah, level. True. So I mean, look, if you if you if you want to be a CFO, you have to be an accountant. Yeah, yeah. you've got to you've got to have an accounting degree. Yeah, uh, and you've got to be a pretty good accountant. Yes. Yeah. Tim says. Is the current lack of fuel excise moderating, lowering our inflation numbers? Should we expect a spike in the inflation numbers when the excise comes back on? Then once it comes back and we feel the pain of it, our activity moderates, then hope we have a plateaued inflation. Seems the excise holiday just kicked the can down the road. Um, Do I need to read the rest of this? No, uh, I think that's a good point. uh, Okay, so yes, uh, the thing is, the thing about inflation is that um, uh, it, it... Inflation is when prices are moving, but once you get to the higher level, inflation stops moving. So if if a particular if you look at a particular price, say fuel fuel price, if it goes up ten percent, then fuel price inflation is ten percent while it's going up, and once it but if it stays ten percent higher, inflation falls to zero. Yes. Yes. Um, so yes, uh, fuel price inflation is now zero. Well, it's in terms of the excise. Uh, it's zero, and then um, when it comes off, which it will, which it will, inflation will rise. So yes. inflation. So fell, Tim's, Tim's inflation right. Rise. Well, we have kicked the can down the road on fuel inflation. Exactly. And it doesn't explain all the difference between Australia and the US. That they've got other energy issues, um, particularly in Europe, uh, and whereas we don't. Despite all that, all the all you've heard about energy prices, ours aren't moving as quickly as. In, in the US, so um, it doesn't explain all the difference, but we will see. I mean, this is why RBA thinks inflation's going to 7%. Part of that is that the government's been very clear the excise cut won't continue, and we'll see a bit more fuel inflation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jason says, I'm a new dad, and I wanted to know the best way to get life insurance. Should I take it out privately or get extra cover through my super? What are your thoughts? This is a tough um, one. Yeah, well, look, uh, Jason, uh, probably I, I think I think I'm pretty sure that the uh, the insurance companies providing the super providing the life insurance, whether it's through super or outside super, is the same same insurance companies. Yes. So the super funds go to <coughs> those insurance companies. There's AIA, there's Tower Life, there's MetLife. Uh, they're the only ones I can think of, but they uh, they're the ones who are providing the superannuation uh, life cover. It's really all about the deal. Um, yeah. You know, uh, what's the premium you're going to pay for someone at your stage of life and your health, whether you smoke or or whatever? Um, and so I'd explore the deal. Yeah, yeah. I've always struggled with this one. I, I've got life insurance through my super, but I, sometimes I wonder whether I whether it's a good idea or a bad idea or uh, I don't know. You got to compare. That's all. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, but I just the, the, the idea of life insurance generally. Is it a rot? Is it worth it? I don't know. I, I don't know. What do you, I don't know if you've got any thoughts. Yeah, well, let's look. It's one of those insurances. Like, as with all insurance, you don't really want to claim. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> you know, but you've got, you've got it there in case, you, in case the thing happens, you know. 
I mean, I always see life insurance, any kind of insurance, as you're buying it each month. Like, I'm buying yeah. a thing yeah. this month. Yes. Which is that uh, if I die uh, or my house burns down, I'm covered. Yes. So I reckon you, with all these insu- with all insurance, you should do it, see it as a monthly thing you buy. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way of thinking about it. Yeah. Uh, Simon says... <laughs> Oh, oh, chaps, what happened to the June 24 episode? Was there one? No, there wasn't. I was sick. That's it. <laughs> Next question. Uh, Jed says, G'day, guys. Why do you reckon Australia's household debt-to-income ratio is so much higher than the US and the UK? Do you know Do you know why that is? It's house prices, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's, it's house yeah. prices. Our house prices uh, have gone up probably more than anyone else's, I think. Yeah, well, except... New Zealand But I suppose that then, that then begs the next question is why did our house prices go up so much? Yeah. Uh, well, you had a good graph saying, suggesting, or there was some correlation between the deregulation of the banking sector and uh, and house price movements. So I, I don't know if that explains it. It though. was a chart from my friend Jared Minak who uh, has got – who had a chart of um, uh, house prices – as a percentage of GDP, that is to say, the the total residential, the value of all residential land in Australia as a percentage of GDP, and all bank credit as a percentage yep. of GDP, yep. going back to 1910. Okay, it was a great one of yeah. one of Jared's best graphs. Yeah. You know, he's a he's a graph master, and so you look at it and you and it's basically steady, and and they're yeah. basically the same. They they go up and down together. Yes, right. Yes. They're really highly correlated. Yeah, bank credit and house prices. And then in around about 1980, early 1980s, up it goes. Yes. Right? And yes. both of them go up. Yeah. Bank credit and house prices both shoot up uh, after being, for 70 years prior to that, flat. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and the answer is, obviously, that's when banking was deregulated by the Hawke government. And uh, the shackles came off the banks and off they went. Yeah. And the other thing, that, the other graph that I showed that night... Uh, which yes. I thought was fascinating. Another yeah. Jared Minak graph, which showed that in 1990, 65% of bank lending was for businesses and 25% was for housing. So basically, um, you know, uh, what, 30, 30 years ago, banks were the handmaidens of businesses. Yep. That's what they did. Yep. That was their job. Yes. And then in the 30 years since then, the two lines crossed over. And it's the other way around. Yeah, now. is it what? And they banks are all about lending for housing, and not lending to businesses. And why is that? It's because housing is safe. Yeah. And profitable. And so, there you go. The rule, the rules of banking incentivise mortgage lending. And so they're throwing money. Banks are throwing money at people to buy houses, um, and people are bidding the price of the houses up. And of course, you know, now that interest rates went to 0.1% uh, last year, it was a massive incentive to um, to to buy houses. And look, and the other thing that's worth pointing out is that when you're getting down, when interest rates are getting down to the levels they are, right? Yeah. So if if the interest rate is cut from, um, you know, like 5% to 4%, yes, that's a 20% cut, yep. right? Yeah. But if interest rates are cut from 0.25% to 0.1%, that's a much yeah. bigger percentage cut. Yes. Even though it's less in terms of the the actual percentage points. Yes. 
in terms of the proportion of the cut, in terms of the the reduction in mortgage repayments, it's massive, yeah. right? And yeah. that's going to work the other way now. Yes. Because, you know, we've gone from 0.1 to 1.35. Well, that's a massive increase in uh, in interest rates. Yeah. Far, you know, bigger than anything we've ever seen. Anyway. A related question from Ben. Oh, right. Am I reading this or are you? I'll read this one. There is talk, a lot of talk of recession on the horizon. However, found your graph that we have the most indebted households in the world interesting. Would this mean that small interest rate rises will kill off inflation much faster in the US, Australia versus the US? So will our interest rate, because we've got so much debt, will our RBA rate rises hurt us and kill inflation much quicker in Australia than in the US. Absolutely. Yeah. I think so. That, that is that's what, an easy question, Ben. That is what CBA was betting on. Yeah. That, 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 and that's why they thought rates aren't going to go up that high. But what they didn't account for is the RBA's apparent desire to front load these yeah, rates yeah. and get them up really fast. So uh, this goes to your point. We're running out of time. So Simon says, I don't... I know you don't give financial advice, but I'm currently trying to decide between fixing my branch bank and new mortgage for two years or going variable. What would you be telling your son to do this with this with his mortgage if he bought now? Uh, I always say fix half. <laughs> I mean, it's, right. that's pretty. Uh, it's a bit of a cop out in a way. Sort of sitting on the fence. <laughs> sitting on the fence. I, I was always told. Uh, it's so hard to pick where mortgage rates are going for anyone. And, and why do you think you're better than everyone? So you should just be variable. And I've always sort of seen something. In yeah, that well, fixed rates have gone up a lot. No, they're huge. More than variable. And in fact, the other day, Commonwealth Bank put up its uh, fixed rates by 1.4%, yeah. all of them, they're, and cut its variable rate by 0.15. They're up above 5%, aren't they? Yeah, they are. So, I mean, at so the mo- that's the problem, Simon. I mean, if you go fixed, it's, it's a high rate. And at the moment, the banks are still competing a bit on variable. You know, they're they're trying to get variable rate mortgages, so they're they're cutting them. Yeah, so, I, I guess I guess I would tell my son unless you think you know where mortgage rates are going, I'd be going variable yeah. at the moment. Go, uh, Peter. I'd be interested to know if there's a portfolio value where it is better to use a full service broker or better to stick to online brokers. So, do you have to have a certain amount of money uh, to justify having a full service broker? I don't think so. I mean. Uh, Depends no. a bit on no. I, I, it depends. It, it really, it's all about whether you want to have someone to talk to. Yes, I mean, and how much you need that person to talk to, and how much. Yeah, you know, I, I think Peter's right. There's probably a if you're if you got 10k in the market versus 250k, you you, you, you at least have the option. Oh, it's more like 10 million, I reckon. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay, 250k is still Comsec in my view. Okay, there you go. That should help you, Peter. There's a guide rule. <laughs> Final question from Lachlan. Could you talk about what you believe to be the true average income of a full-time Australian worker? I was surprised to hear the census this week suggested the average Australian was a woman in her late 30s with a child living in a household earning $3,000 per week. That would most certainly mostly describe my wife, but we're not earning quite that much. Would this amount have been skewed by houses with adult children still living with parents while working? I don't know, actually. But the the average weekly earnings, according to the ABS, is where is it? I had it up a minute ago. Um, average weekly earnings one thousand seven hundred forty-eight dollars forty dollar forty per week. 
So well, that's per person. So you double that for a person. household, I guess. Well, no. What the census? He's saying that the, the average Australian is a woman. Uh, oh, who, the household's earning is the, three thousand. Is the household earning three thousand a week? Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Well, that'd be right. Yeah. Yeah. Feels about right. Yeah. Roughly. Uh, there you go. We reckon that's right, Lachlan. <laughs> 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 but you know we're. Famous statisticians, uh, James you, and I. Well, we you did of, a graph going back to 1972. Oh, that's very impressive. I did. Uh-huh. Oh. That was hard. Oh, it sounds like a lot of uh, Excel manipulation to me. It was. Oh. Exactly. Good work. Um, well, look, that's it. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Money Cafe. Now, listen, we'll be taking a four-week winter recess uh, because various people, not James, of course, he's just come back, various people will be on holidays. Uh, so we'll be back on the 11th of August. So um, we're, to... we're not moving to Europe. No, we're not moving to oh, Europe. I, we're, okay, I um, thought we were taking our. We were going to a global tour of um, international banking well, hotspots or something. We could be doing the the uh, money cafe in a Parisian cafe, or perhaps. Rome, perhaps in Rome, and standing at the bar. Yeah, yeah that's right. No, no. Next no, year. No, we're not doing next that. Year. But maybe next year we'll <laughs> do that until August the 11th, everybody. I'm Alan Kohler, Editor-in-Chief of Eureka Report. And I'm James Thompson, Chanticleer columnist at the Australian Financial Review. See you then.